Amen. I want to talk to you about a God who breaks through. How many know God is a breakthrough kind of God? Well, it was uh, many years ago in the uh, Philippines, one of the large islands in the Philippines, a missionary uh, by the name of Gerald Johnson. He had planned to drive home the three or four hour journey. He had done ministry all day and he was planning to get home to his wife to drive home before dark because there was a rebel stronghold through the mountains. And he wanted to take this mountain pass early uh, to try to get there. So he made plans to get on the journey, started going, and all of a sudden his van died. Well, it just so happened, he just began to say, Lord, help me. And a man walked up and said, you're out of gas. And he said, well, the tank says full. He says, yeah, but you're out of gas. They put a bamboo stick in the tank, and sure enough, it was dry. So by the grace of God, this man helps him get gas. And now it's getting to be about dark, and he's thinking, well, should I take the mountain pass or not? Should I take it or not? Should I just go another route? And so just then, as he begins to just think about and pray on the Lord, a caravan of three people three vehicles, begins to go to take the mountain pass. He's thinking, great, I'll follow them and I'll be safe. So a few cars go in front of him, he jumps in, and a few cars come behind him, and they begin to go up the mountain pass to get to where he needs to go. Well, the road is, it's in the mountains, so it's muddy and oozy and thick, and, and they begin to swerve and go sideways, and there's like a ravine off the side. So he begins to navigate this treacherous journey, and sure enough, one of the vehicle, vehicles in, stop, in front of him stops and slides to a, break, a block off the road. Well, he has to slam on his brakes and come to a stop. And as soon as he comes to a stop, his van dies again. He's in the middle of nowhere, no phone, no internet, no television. You know, there's, no, there's no houses, there's no one to call. Sure enough, those vehicles get on their way. The other cars are able to go around him. He is there alone right before dark in, dark in this mountain pass, in this rebel stronghold. And he just says all he knows how to do is, Jesus, thank you for helping me. I need help. Just a simple prayer of faith. And as before he can finish that, he hears a knock on his van window. And there is a man there with a toolbox in hand. And he says, it looks like you need help. He says, yes. He says, I think I know what the problem is. So he, the missionary, steps out of the vehicle. And it's one of those uh, vans, those foreign vans where the uh, motor's in the middle, you know, in the, between the seats. He gets in, begins to work. And within 10 minutes... He says, okay, now get back in and crank it up and let's see if it works. And as soon as he cranks it, boom, it works. And he turns around to thank the man and there is no one there. That's a true story given by one of our missionaries several years ago. How many know God has ministering angels? How many know that God is always working on the behalf of believers who are on mission? God is always willing to resource his mission he is always willing to show mighty working power when there is a surrendered people by faith who put their life into the purpose and plan of God. He will always be there to confirm his plan. You see, the miraculous follows the mission of God. Jesus said signs would follow those who believe. They would do mighty things in his name. And see, the number one goal of God is to glorify his son. So anytime God gets the chance to glorify his son, he'll do it. Why? Because he sent his son and his son obeyed the father's will. And his son died for all humanity. And then, so the Bible says, so now he has exalted him high above every other name. And that at the name of Jesus, everyone will bow on heaven and the earth. And every tongue is going to confess Jesus 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That he is saying, I, God's number one goal, his number one priority is to glorify his son. So whenever he sees a people, he'll say, God, I surrender to your purpose. I will walk my life in your path, and I will pray your will by faith. He says, that's a person I can glorify my son through. You say, well, Pastor Heath, how do you see the power of God in my life? How do I see the power of God in my life? It's simply that. Set your life to glorify Jesus. Put your life on mission. Sure enough, the mission and the mighty working power of God are going to go hand in hand. Set your life on mission. You know, church history confirms that when a surrendered people follow his son by faith, that mighty working power is always there to glorify the name of Jesus. The problem is, is that in the modern church world, we're noticing something. That a me-focused life misses, a me-focused life misses the miraculous power of God. You see, Satan knows that this kingdom, God's kingdom, is driving out his kingdom. So what is his number one thing? He wants to do everything he can to keep every Christian bound up in chains. He wants to do everything he can to keep every Christian shut up about the glory of Jesus Christ. He wants to keep us silent because he knows our kingdom is driving out his kingdom. So what can I do to keep Christians bound up? He knows this, because Jesus said that greater works will his church do Real believers will do greater works because Jesus is going to be in them. He knows that men who leave their nets to follow Christ always catch a God-sized vision. Jesus has got a vision for the whole world to come to him. He knows if people leave their nets and follow Jesus, they'll catch a God-sized vision for the lost. He knows, the devil knows, that a Christian who seeks to keep his life, Jesus said, would lose it. He knows a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And he knows that when the gospel starts moving, it's an unstoppable gospel. You and I have been given an unstoppable gospel. Has anybody ever stopped this Christianity yet? 2,000 years, man, there's been dictators and rulers and empires and kingdoms and men and women have sought to burn every Bible, kill every Christian. They haven't had a chance to stop it yet. There's not been a single person who's hindered the work of God on this earth, and that includes the devil himself. There's nothing that can stop something that God sets to move. God is on the move, and he's a God who still breaks through. You see, any place, any time, God can glorify his son. He's going to act in that wonder-working power. He's a God who always breaks through with an unstoppable gospel. He's a God who still breaks through Egyptian captivity. He still humbles kings. He still parts seas. He's still a God who breaks through Jericho walls. He's still a God who takes men in the pit and puts them into palaces. Come on. He's a God who still breaks through. He's a God who anoints boys to slay giants. He's still a God who delivers. He's still a God who sets free. He's a God who heals, who uh, saves. He's a God who still breaks through. And not Satan nor sin, nor demon nor death, nor military nor man could ever stop what God sets to move. He's a God who breaks through. You see, I want to be, <laughs> be on this journey with God. I want to do and go where he's going. I want to see God move and do awesome things. That means I have to set my life to where he's at, to set my life on mission. God has a purpose plan to redeem the loss that you and I have to choose to join. 
He has a path that you and I have to walk in by faith. And in so doing, our prayers, our prayers will see God break through. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about, about God's purpose plan, the path that we're on, and the prayers that break through. God's purpose, the path he has us on, and our prayers that will break through and see God move. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Turn there with me if you can. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to kind of piece this out a little bit today. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let's talk about God's purpose. God has a purpose plan, and that purpose was here in the life of Peter in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. So it came about that time, the king, King Herod, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, or he intended to, one translation says. And now it was during the days of unleavened bread, which is the Passover, that he had, God's, he had him seized. He put him in prison, and he delivered him to four squads of soldiers, intending or purposing after Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer, somebody say prayer, Prayer for him was being made fervently or zealously by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Pause. It's about 41 to 44 AD, let's say 10 years or so after Jesus has died and rose again. Peter has been preaching the gospel. The church is expanding. There's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers. Herod, this is Herod's grandson. This is not uh, Herod Antipas that killed John the Baptist. This is a new guy, Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. They're all sons and grandsons, all named Herod. All right. He just kills James. He purposed, the enemy purposed to attack the church. He had intentions. The enemy has evil intentions for God's church. So he kills James, one of the big three. One of the big three, Peter, James, and John. He kills James, the brother of John, and he intends, he purposes to arrest and kill Peter. Peter becomes this Passover lamb uh, right here in prison. Peter's in prison on the night of Passover. It's like the same time Jesus died just 10 years ago. And he finds himself by the purpose of the enemy in prison. You ever felt like the enemy purposed prison in your life before, intending to do you harm, captivating you? And he says he even knew this, that because in Acts chapter 5, Peter had already gotten out of prison one, actually three times by now. He's been arrested and released. The one time in Acts 5, an angel didn't even let him out. So what does he do? He takes 16 of his elite Roman soldiers or uh, prison guards, and he puts them in rotating squads throughout the watch, fastens two at the door, and two, he chains Peter to him, to them. There is no way this guy's escaping now. Not even an angel can come in and do this. Don't you love how the devil just makes God move sometimes, just sets the stage? The enemy's purpose was to say there's no chance of escape. You're going to die tomorrow morning. You'll be killed for the sake of the gospel. The enemy had a purpose, but you know, Peter had a purpose too. For 10 years, he'd purposed his life to follow Jesus by faith. No matter where Jesus went, that's what he wanted to do. What he saw the Holy Spirit do, that's what he began to do. But now, his best friend, James, is dead. Probably, Peter's thinking, I had a good run. My buddy is dead. God purposed for him to die a martyr. So my purpose, Jesus, is wherever you go, I'll do what you do. Jesus, whatever you say, that's what I want to say. Wherever you go, I'll go. 
Peter says, I'm laying my life down for the purpose of God. I like what Martin Luther says. He says, faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in God so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths. He would die a thousand deaths for its sake. Faith is a living and unshakable confidence. It's a belief in God that I'm so assured I would die a thousand deaths just for the sake of what I believe in. And that's the kind of faith Peter had. I'm here on, what a great honor to lay my life down 10 years later when my Savior up in heaven became a Passover lamb for me. For me to die on Passover is an honor. And it's to be glory, I glory in the suffering of Christ, Paul said. That it's a, it's a glory glory to suffer in fellowship with Christ. And Peter had that purpose in his life. So much so that the Bible says he was asleep between, can you imagine, asleep between two soldiers, chained, all right? You're going to die. How many are going to be asleep when you're about to die tomorrow? Not only are you on a, a brick floor between two elite soldiers, you're going to die tomorrow. And what is he doing? He's not praying. He's not fasting. He's not speaking in tongues. He's asleep. How do you have the confidence between standing between two hard places, two hard things, difficulty on the right and difficulty on the left? Here's the doctor's report and here's the surgery. Here's what my, my boss just let me go today and here's the bills that are due tomorrow. How do you stand and fall asleep between two difficult things? between pharaohs chasing you on this side and then there's a sea to cross on the other side. How do you stand fast in the Lord and rest in the Lord? Why? You know the Lord is fighting your battles. You know that even while you are sleeping, the Bible says that he is thinking thoughts towards you. He is singing songs over you. I, I think that, here's what I think. I think that night that Peter, not only was he so tired, he probably passed out. But he could sleep, why? Knowing he had surrendered his life to the purpose of God. And that when you surrender your life to the purpose of God, guess what? You always win. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Guess what? I win whether I live, I win whether I die. There's nothing that the enemy can do to ever touch me or take my place with God because I am in the Lord's purpose. He has purposed something for my life and I have already received it in Christ. Peter knew that Jesus, that day, I think he thought about that moment. Remember when he walked on the water? When Jesus called him in the midst of the storm? I think he thought about that moment even before that when Jesus, they were going through the, the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, a storm came up, and they were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. Where'd they find Jesus? Asleep. Covered in water. Asleep. And then they saw Jesus get up, rebuke the wind and the waves, and everything would be calm. I think that same voice. Can you imagine? Peter knew his voice. He heard him audibly. He could, he could think about Jesus saying, peace be still. He could think about Jesus saying those words before he left, I am with you always, even to the end. Can you hear God's voice in between two hard places? Can you rest in the Lord knowing that if you've purposed your life for the Lord, there's nothing the enemy can do to touch you? Live or die, I will bless the Lord. The Lord gives and taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a confident peace in the purpose plan of God. But if you live for your own self, you have to be confident in your own self. But if you live for God, you've only to be confident in God. Come on, somebody. If you live for your own self, 
You better be confident in your own self because that's where your peace is gonna be. But if you live for the purpose of God, you only to be confident in God. That's the peace that passes all understanding and guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. It's a life set on purpose for the plan of God. And so that's why so many churchgoers today don't have peace. Sleep in heavenly peace, right? Like the song says. It's because we have to have a life set on purpose. God always resources his mission. God always moves in mighty working power when someone says, I'm going to glorify Jesus with my life. Enemy had a purpose, Peter had a purpose, and God had a purpose. See, God's purpose was for James to be a martyr. James 1. But God's purpose was Peter. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to get to an old man, and they're going to lead you to a place you do not want to go, but that's my plan for your life. He says, but what about this guy over here, John? He's going to live a long age. He says, don't worry about him. You just do what I said for you. You just do what I've purposed for your life. Just walk in my purpose, Peter. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, Peter. Just feed my sheep. Walk in my purpose for your life, Peter. And I think Peter's thinking about that moment. Maybe this is it. I'm surrendered to the purpose of God. I'm going to sleep now. Man, can you do that? You see, there was a purpose that he surrendered to, but there was a path he was willing to follow. Acts chapter 12, let's look at verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands and an angel said to him, gird yourself up and put on your sandals. And he did so and he said to them, now wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow. And he didn't really know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision or a dream can be translated there. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened by itself. The actual Greek word is automatic, all right? And when they went out and went along the street, immediately the angel of the Lord departed, and Peter came to himself and said, Now, I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel, rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all the Jewish people were expecting. You see, because Peter had surrendered to God's purpose, now he only had to walk in God's path, that's what we're talking about, path, by faith. There was an open door, Jesus said to the Philadelphia church, he says, I set before you an open door, a door that no man can shut. I set before you an open door that no one is able to shut. I know you've got little power, but you've kept my word and not denied my name. It's like if there's this moment where it's like the match is set. Herod's purpose and God's purpose Let's watch this. You think you're going to put some chains on my boy? Yeah, I got him out the last time. Let's just see what I can do. Come on, devil, you're going to try to show me up? Watch this. He sends an angel. All of a sudden, a light shines in. Don't you know that when the light shines in the darkness, the Bible says in John, the darkness can't overpower it? When darkness is lit up by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's revelation where you can see where you're walking and what you're going and what you're doing. There comes a new change in the environment. When God's light comes in the room, you begin to awaken yourself to different things, different things that lead you out of the devil's captivity. It says a light shone in the room, and that same light that gave Peter revelation to walk out was the same light that blinded the guards. 
They couldn't see. They were in a haze. and They didn't even know what was going on. They couldn't even notice what was happening. And that's the same thing with sin and truth. That's the same thing with the darkness of the devil's captivity and the light of God's glory and grace. That when God's light comes into a heart, there comes revelation. You see, wow, now that my life, that makes sense now. Now I see this is sin and captivity. And God says, look, there's the open door. Go start walking that way. And when Peter saw that light, I think that angel nudged him and says, now look, Wake up. Here's the path for you, Peter. Here's the path God set for you. And the Bible says that your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. The angel came and he, in a sense, was heralding good news. Peter, there's freedom for you. This is, you've given your life to God's purpose. Here's the path to walk on. Here's freedom for you, Peter. This is good news. You see, Peter did nothing to be free on his own. I want you to catch this. The angel gave light and revelation. And then the angel spoke good news. And then he told Peter, get up. When Peter got up by faith, then it says, then the chains fell. Did Peter shake him off? Did Peter have to find a key? No, he simply responded to the good news of the angel. And when he responded in faith, then the chains fell off. How many know that's the gospel? That's good news. That's how the gospel works. When God's light shines in your heart and you receive it and you see what God has done through Jesus Christ, then you respond to what it says. You get up. Jesus said, take up your mat, get up. There's always a response in faith on our part. You don't ever free yourself, but you have to respond to what God says by faith. When he says it, you better respond. You'll never be the one to save yourself. You'll never be the one to deliver yourself, but you can receive what he's already said and get up. You can get up by faith. You see, Peter obeyed the word, then the chains fell off. Then he began to walk, put on his clothes, put on his shoes, and he took steps forward. And as he took steps forward to obey what God was telling him through this angel, prison doors began to open. Enemy was blinded. There was a pathway to God's purpose for his life. He just responded by faith. That's why Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. He's half asleep. He didn't even notice until he's a block away. He was sleepwalking. By faith, wouldn't that be wonderful? If I could just sleepwalk through Christianity and God just does it all. No, but he was sleepwalking. And as he began to respond to what he knew, chains began to break. Doors began to open. Enemy began to be blinded. God provided a way. You see, sometimes we get overwhelmed by thinking, how am I going to get myself out of drugs? How am I going to fix this marriage? How am I going to break these addictions? How am I going to change my life? How am I going to change my behavior? You can't change anything. You can just receive the gospel and start walking by faith. Chains will fall as you do what God has already told you to do. You're not ever going to be the person that's going to free yourself. But you can respond to do the little things by faith. The little things by faith. He just put on his shoes. He just put on what he knew to do. All he could do with his own power, he did. And then God did the work. God did the work. You see, it's faith plus obedience that equals deliverance. Faith plus obedience equals deliverance. You see, everyone who has peace with God walks free when they walk by faith. How is that? You hear the word of God and you believe it. Don't worry about the things you're powerless to overcome. Just start doing the little things God has already told you to do by faith. That's a hard lesson I'm still learning today. 
Heath, just do the things God has already empowered you to do. I know how to put on my shoes in the spirit, in the sense. I know how to put on my clothes. I know how to do, God says, take a step. That's all I can do right now. Sometimes there's only so much you can do in a moment. I don't know how to get myself out of prison. He's not asking you to get yourself out of addiction. He's not asking you to fix the situation. He's not asking you to solve this crisis. You don't know how, you can't do it. But when you surrender and say, God, I receive your word. I see the light of the gospel. I believe in Jesus Christ. By faith, I take a step. And as you take that step, trust me, chains will fall. Doors will open, and you're going to wake up one day down the road and look back and say, oh my gosh, God was my breakthrough. God was my breakthrough. I didn't get myself out of that. God got me out of that. I was sleepwalking the whole time. I had no clue what God was doing in my life until I look back and say, thanks be to God. He has always been my breakthrough. He's my breakthrough. He'll open doors no man can shut. You see, it was the purpose of the enemy and the purpose of Peter and the purpose of God. Peter walked that pathway by faith, but there was a prayer. There was a prayer. Look in verse 12. Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher, said, it was the angel who fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. You see, when Peter realized what had happened, he goes to this house of Mary, which is the mother of John, probably the sister of Barnabas, and uh, John is called Mark. And where many people were gathered and were praying. Verse 13, and he knocked at the door of the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda, or Rose, came to the answer. She recognized Peter's voice, but because of her joy, though, she didn't open the gate, but she ran in and announced that Peter's standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind, you're mad. But when she kept insisting that it was so, they kept saying, it's his angel. It's his guardian angel, or perhaps it's his ghost, or uh, they believed in that day that angels, uh, guardian angels could look like that person, okay? So they're saying he's dead. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed, but he motioned them with his hands, be quiet, and he described to them what the Lord had done and how he led him out of prison. He said, report these things to James, which is the Lord's half-brother, the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, and to the brethren, and he left and went to another place. It was the prayer offered in faith. I love that Peter knew there would be a prayer meeting going on. Prayer meeting was the foundation of the early church. It's 10 years later, and Peter knows there's a prayer meeting at Mary's house every single night. He knew as soon as he got out in the middle of 3 a.m. in the morning, he knew there's people praying for me. Man, wouldn't it be nice to be a part of a church movement like that? There are people laboring in prayer for seven days. They prayed for Peter, knocking on heaven's door for their, their big three. James, we just can't lose Peter. We already lost James. God, please don't take Peter from us. They began praying for seven days. They had a prayer meeting. James says, you know, uh, James, who's this elder later on, he says, God often limits himself to the prayers of his children. But he goes on in chapter 5, he says, but the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish or complete much. The effective prayer of righteous people, people who are right with God, people who have Jesus Christ on the inside, who've been made right by grace through faith, people who know how to pray and who are, have a relationship with Jesus can do and see awesome things because the mighty hand of God is moved by people like that. And Peter said, I know they've been praying for me. I got out of this prison. There must have been a prayer meeting going on because that's the only way things like this happen is when the church starts praying. You see, there was a purpose of God, there was a path that he set, but there was a prayer that was able to move mountains. 
Jesus said, For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, they were knocking on heaven. He says, It will be open. I love what David Jeremiah says. He says, Prayer, prayer is the way you defeat the devil. Prayer is the way you reach the lost, restore the backslider, strengthen the saints, send missionaries out. Prayer is the way you cure the sick, accomplish the impossible, and know the will of God. So the devil knows, let's have a bunch of churches in America that don't pray. Let's have a bunch of Christians in America who don't pray. Let's cancel the prayer meetings of the church. Let's cancel the altar calls and the prayer times, the laboring, the lingering, the wanting, the waiting. Let's, let's make it fast and microwave it and make it flashy and make it be about a man who has a polished sermon with some PowerPoint and some lights. Let's, let's not, we don't want laboring in prayer. That's the kind of stuff that breaks those guys out of prison. Let's dull it down. Let's compartmentalize it, construct it, pattern it. Let's programize it. Let's get it to where it's polished and pretty and there's not a single ounce of power in it. Let's have that kind of church. Well, I'm preaching now. See, what are we breaking into heaven for that heaven can't help break out for? What are we knocking on heaven's door for that heaven can help but answer. Like tonight, there are going to be multiple churches gathering together to pray for heaven to move in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. Let me tell you something. You know how many pastors won't be there tonight? I've had pastors in this own parish tell me, I would be there tonight, but my church board or my church members won't let us come. Don't you know that's the enemy? Don't you know that's the enemy? Satan loves a prayerless church. He knows that prayer moves mountains. Jesus said, you don't have because you don't ask with faith. Even faith of a mustard seed. You consider this mountain move from here to there and it'll be so. He says to another, person, another passage, he says, you don't have because you haven't asked with repetitive faith, laboring faith like this woman who will even go to a wicked judge and she'll nag him so much. He'll say, I guess I just got to get her off my case. He says, if a wicked man will do that for a righteous woman, how much more will your righteous heavenly father answer prayers of faith? He says, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? Will I find a praying church, a church that labors in prayer, that is fervent in their prayer, who meets together and says, we believe and we show up. We're going to open prison doors today. We're going to break chains today. When this church prays, lives are going to be transformed. God's mighty power is going to come down into this community because these people believe what they pray is going to happen. That was the early church. You see, they had an open door. I love, though, that even in this moment, Rhoda Rose is so excited. There's Peter. It's Peter. He shouldn't even open the door. It's kind of a comical thing in the Bible. You know, he shouldn't even open the door. And they're like, no. Like, what? Are, you've been praying for seven days. You don't believe it? <laughs> seven days? You, you know, even that, isn't that us? We're praying for something, and yet we don't even believe it when it shows up at the door. They're praying. It's got to be he's dead. <sighs> he's dead. Why? You see, here's what I believe. These people were all martyrs. These people all died for their faith. These were some powerhouse Christians. Even they struggled in their faith. That gives me hope for myself. But in the same sense, here's what I also believe happened. The Bible says that God, he's a God who answers exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or think. 
I think God just answered their prayer better than they even asked. I think that they, they didn't even pray for a breakthrough that big. They thought maybe he'll get out tomorrow in the middle of the day and Herod will just release him. They didn't even conceptualize that God was going to break him out in the middle of 16 soldiers in the middle of the night and he was going to walk through a daydream and wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning down the street. You see, God is a God who's willing to do mighty breakthroughs beyond all that we could even imagine, beyond all that we could even think. If we would just set ourselves to praying the will of God for our community, for our family, for our friends, to walk in God's path that he's set before us, do what we know to do by faith and set our life on his purpose to redeem a lost and dying world, this church will see the mighty hand of God move. His word declares it. It's all on us. God, I know you can do a breakthrough better than I can even imagine. I love what one uh, statement says, faith is praying for rain with an umbrella. If you're praying for rain, you don't have an umbrella in your hand. Are you really believing or you just want to get wet? Because faith believes what it lays hold of. They couldn't believe it because it answered, God had answered better than they could even ask. Have I asked with persistent faith? I know many, I know every single person this here has faith bigger than a mustard seed. You wouldn't be here today. Something believed that you should be here today. That's a mustard seed is nothing. It's a little tiny, not even a pebble. Tiny, tiny, one of the tiniest seeds in the world. You're here because you believe something. And he says that's the kind of faith, even that faith, God can do something with. Just keep on being persistent with that faith. Do what you know how to do. Give your all to the Lord and watch God move. Believe that God's going to do it. Close with this. You see, the story ends with Peter alive and Herod dead. Look in verse 24. Herod boasts in his own godliness. People praise him. The Bible says the angel of the Lord, maybe the same angel, struck him. He died, was eaten later by worms. Josephus even says this is historical record. happened in 44 A.D. Herod was killed when people praised him as God. History, history confirms the Bible on this account right here. We know the exact date that it happened. Herod was struck dead five days later. He was eaten on the inside by worms. Some kind of disease took him over. He knew God had struck him, by the way. It's recorded. That's what the enemy meant for evil. God meant for good. God had a purpose. The enemy had a purpose. Peter had a purpose. But the main character, I'll wrap with this. Look in verse 24. What does it say? Put that up in the next slide. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. You know who the main character of this story is? It's not Peter, it's Jesus. This whole story is about God glorifying his son through a man named Peter. This story is not Peter's story. In fact, Peter will fall off the pages of history after this chapter right here. We don't even know where he went after this because this story is not about Peter, it's not about Herod, it's not about a prison, it's not about a pit, it's about Jesus. And nothing can hinder the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And whenever a person purposes their life with God's purpose, whenever a person walks in the plan and the path God has for them by faith, whenever a person commits to pray the will of God by faith, you can be sure of this, God's word is going to grow. There's going to be something unstoppable come to pass when we glorify Jesus. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Is Jesus the main character of your story? Have you purposed your life 
to glorify Jesus? Are you walking his plan for your life by faith?